listeners i had to get my meds adjusted after the last time we watched uh you know this this episode it it, it threw me for a loop <laughs> yeah no i in reality though like life gets in the way yeah, of really podcasting does. um specifically finals and holidays and but we are back uh for at least a little while yeah. um we'll try to we're trying really hard to keep to that two week schedule um Sometimes but it doesn't work out. Sometimes it just but doesn't eh, work out. What do you yeah, mean? yeah. You just kind of have to go with it. Yeah. Um, but okay, so we're here now, and we're going to talk mm-hmm. about um, what are we talking about today, Jason? We are talking about the Enterprise episode, the Andorian incident. Mm, Fun stuff. In- We've, we are at the end of our second loop through the series. What's the plural of series? Series. There's got to be a plural of series because it's like multiple series. I think it's just series. An array of series. That'll work. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, we're uh, we're on our second cycle through at the, at the very end. So uh, back to Enterprise and the Andorian incident. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with this episode, you'll get a little bit of a synopsis here in a minute. But uh, suffice to say, we have a, a, the introduction of a, a Star Trek fan favorite actor uh, who's been in, I think... Almost every every series, almost. Um, he played, uh, what was the alien dude in Deep Space Nine? Um, There's been a few. Crud. I wish I could remember his name now. I just did, I just did a Wait, whole introduction of the actor. Uh, he was the guy that played the lead Andorian. Okay, I wrote him down and I wrote Neil Patrick Harris Andorian? No, Question not mark? Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> I know it's not Neil Patrick yeah. Harris, but it kind of looks like him. Oh, um, I know. He, uh, and he kind of talks like him a bit too, but yeah, I yeah, I, I recognized him instantly. Yeah, no, he's he, um, he's been in he's been in other other uh, Star Trek series. Um he he's a he's a favorite. He actually got that part I I was reading an article about him and again, this is how my brain works. I remember articles about people, but I don't remember the person's name. <laughs> so, like, you know, I was reading a thing about that guy with the crazy hair. He uh, did something about, you know, relativity. What was his name again? Oh, yeah, Einstein. Einstein. But, no, this actor, I was reading an article about him, and apparently he got that role for this, like Rick Berman and the Brandon writing. Braga. Uh, Brandon Braga. Yeah, they all, they all liked him ve- so much on Deep Space Nine that they're like, well, we got to bring him back in because he's 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 a good actor. You know, we need a reoccurring role for him, and that character obviously it's reoccurs gonna, yeah. throughout the series all the way to the very end. Yeah, a uh, good character, uh, but anyway, good actor too. Yeah, no, I I, I thought. Well, I mean, I, I I find no fault in the acting in this mm-hmm. in this series. Um, I'm defending today, actually. So you're gonna defend this one. Yeah, I am, and I have a lot of sort of. I think unpopular reasons for wanting to defend this episode, okay, um, which has has a weird sort of like there's a kind of vitriol against this episode among I would say like OG Trek fans, <laughs> um, and yeah. and I guess I don't get it because I'm not an OG Trek fan. Like I don't get I don't get the vitriol. I don't get 
And like I think this is one of those episodes that like there are problems with the episode. Like I won't I won't deny oh, yeah. that. But but the problems to me are not like they're not problems that impact the entire franchise. I think that they're problems within the episode and within Enterprise more than they are problems that like sort of uh, deal with canon or problems that deal with Vulcans, you know, on the whole. Um, but I mm-hmm. understand why people don't like this episode. No, um, I, 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 uh, I, th- I think I see where you're coming from, uh, from, from like a non, like religion aspect of it. Like you're not a member of the cult of Star Trek. Right, right. So, so you're able to observe this from the outside and think to yourself, okay, yeah, no, no, this is, this is good for X, Y, and Z. Right. Um, because I am a member of the cult and uh, I mean, I'm full paid up on my dues and everything. I feel Obviously, I'm going to take the more traditional tone and and tell you why this episode is not good yeah, and why it's yeah. not good for Star Trek, uh, and not not just why this is not a good episode because I mean it is good storytelling. I'm not going to so. deny, but there are things told in this story that are not good for the canon of Star Trek and not good for the universe of Star Trek. Yeah, I, and I I I'm gonna have to heartily disagree with you on that, and I, oh, no, I think and, that and the, I think that's gonna be the bone of contention for this episode yeah. because, because there are parts of this episode that bugged me, um, namely that they're in a room with windows and for some reason they're having to find a way through the catacombs. <laughs> there's a window right yeah, there. Yeah, there's only like four Andorians. Not to so. mention they transport into the room. So yeah, like can you not? Okay, whatever. No, no, no. I get, um, I get where you go. There, there's obviously there's some holes. problems. We'll get to those. But, but, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but but as far as like as far as dealing with Star Trek canon, yeah, I think that this episode actually upholds canon more than it subverts it. And, and mm. again, I think we're gonna have to. That's gonna be the bone of contention. You know, this episode. yeah, we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, there's a little research to be done clearly, but I think in the meantime, um, let's go ahead and let our listeners know what this episode's about. Sure. Yeah. All right. Archer and crew notice a blip on the Vulcan's inaccurate star charts. T'Pol informs them that it is no anomaly, but a Vulcan temple. The temple proves to be too good an opportunity to miss and trip Archer and T'Pol brave Vulcan pretension in order to see it. Once there, they discover not all is as it seems. Andorian rebels have taken the temple by force and searched for a listening post that would violate the terms of the Andorian-Vulcan treaty. The Vulcan monks insist that no such post exists, and the monastery, along with Archer, Trip, and T'Pol, are held hostage. Archer plots a daring escape through temple catacombs rather than windows or transporters or any other thing at their disposal. And as they mount their escape, the Andorian rebels corner them in the sacred Vulcan reliquary. Luckily, or unluckily if you're a Vulcan, Archer spots a doorway which opens onto the listening post the Andorians were searching for, thereby confirming their suspicions and outing the Vulcans. Alright, well, I think that uh, is probably the shortest synopsis for any episode we've done so far. Mainly because the plot to this one was like... Oh yeah, pretty super tapioca. But is it, what it but, was. yeah, but it not even tapioca. That was vanilla because tapioca at least has chunks. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> so, I love tapioca, and that makes me never want to eat it again. <laughs> um, Fair uh, enough. Yeah. Fair okay. Enough. So um, yeah, no, I mean, okay, but the. the the plot is simple, but I, yeah. I don't think it needs to be. I mean, it doesn't need to be overly complicated, does it? No, I, I think that that was the beauty of TOS is that the 
plot in in TOS for their episodes were not super complicated. They were like pretty straightforward. Here's right. it was it was your traditional story arc, your traditional, you know, exposition, rising action, climax, denouement, you know? I mean, that's how it always Falling was. Falling action denouement. Uh, uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. We call it the witch's hat. Whatever. Um, anywho, um, in this one, there was really no falling action, though. It just got up to the climax and then was like, the end. Yeah. Oh, I. Which that, is kind of a problem for me. Yeah, like, that, that bugged me, too, actually. It was, it's like, okay. Well, I mean, and honestly, though, in defense, I guess I'm kind of arguing with myself here, is where do you go from there? How about, in like, a story? throwing the fact that the there was a listening post in the face of the Vulcans that I mean, were there. I mean, like, what, what what bugs me about it is that, like, it wasn't even really clear that they knew that it was there because, because at the end, you know, there are Vulcans that are there in the listening post. Like, you can see them sort yeah. of walking around, um, barely, but you can see them. Um, and so that indicated to me that, well, maybe the monks... I mean, maybe, the, you know, uh, what, what do they call it when you have plausible deniability? Like, maybe yeah. they weren't really that sure that it existed. You know, maybe I, they just thought that some Vulcan showed up and disappeared deep within the catacombs. Who knows? Like, I disagree. Yeah, I mean, specifically. It, and yeah. specifically because, what's his name? The young monk that followed them down there. He's He, like, draws a gun on him. Like, oh, right. nope, you guys saw our secret. I'm going to have to put you down now. Sorry, old yeller. Like, that, to me, made it seem like they all knew it. And also, like, all of them kept telling them they can't go into the reliquary. I mean, and then they have a firefight in the friggin' reliquary, you know? I mean, like, you what, what did you think was going to happen whenever right. they went in there, you right. know? Like, I, I believe that they knew. Like, that, yeah. I'm just going to no, go I with mean, that. I'm, and I'm, in terms of, like, throwing it into the Vulcan's face, like what you were saying, I... I think Archer pretty much did that in time in terms of a shorthand um, by throwing it up into Paul. Like, hey, here you go. You know, take some pictures with this thing and then give it to him. You know, I think that was really the but throwing that, it but, in the Vulcan's face. But that didn't, I mean, that was not satisfying to me because it's not no. like Paul knew what was going on. I no, mean, she, she wouldn't have known. And like who, I mean, so the question for me, like, you know, yeah, there doesn't have to be a huge follow-up to this, but like a little bit of a follow-up where you're sort of, Hey man, we were told that there was no listening post here, and yet here we are in a massive listening post. And they do they do follow it up on other episodes, but like in terms of like the single episode right, sto- storytelling, yeah, yeah, you're right. They they didn't, and I'm I probably, they they could thanks for making my point for me. <laughs> well, I mean, they could have remedied it with like a simple, you know, sort of taking the Andorians back up to the yeah. top and meeting with the head monk there and being like, hey. You know, this is this is clearly a listening post. You guys have clearly been violating the terms of our treaty. Um, yeah. Why? Why? Why are you doing that? You know. Yeah. I see. I think we've just put ourselves in the uh, awkward position of like defending each other's positions, yeah. basically. Because yeah. now, now in defense, just, just, and I really don't want to defend this episode, but in defense of like the storytelling idea, I think the way the story ended was putting humans or, you know, Archer and his crew Mm -hmm. in a moral superior position by saying, I mean, to both the Andorians and the Vulcans by, by saying, you know, we're not going to rub the, rub your noses in this Vulcans, but also Andorians take your evidence and get the heck out of here. You know, you don't belong here anymore. You've got what you need. 
go ahead and leave. Well, and and like that, I I don't like how they told that story by any stretch of the imagination. I don't like how they ended that story, but I think that is a decent enough way to end that story. But see, to me, this is the same problem that that um, Unexpected suffered from, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like you get right up to the edge of where things are about to get interesting, and instead of going over that line and showing us the interesting part, they stop, mm-hmm. and it's completely unsatisfactory. I think that's also the point of this, this series in general. Like, it is very unsatisfactory because it gets right up to the point where it's it's getting right up to the point where it's getting to the Star Trek we know and love right. and stopping and then short. It, and then it literally cuts off right at that moment where you're, you yeah. know, where, where the moment Even the of, final episode of the series is like, oh, the Constellation class ship. Ooh, fancy. And then the end. And the, yeah, right. I mean, so, right. So like this to me is like just one of those episodes that does a lot of what, you know, what Enterprise tends to do. And it just sort of takes you there, gets you to that point, stops short, and then never really picks it back up. Yeah. And like that to me is a, a, a major problem with storytelling in this in this series. Um, it, it, it's like almost good, you know? Yeah. And it's not a cliffhanger. It didn't feel like a cliffhanger. It felt like, you know, a completed, as it were, episode. It just mm-hmm. felt very unsatisfying. And I felt like it would be better had they taken the time to sort of have that denouement, have that falling action yeah, instead yeah. of just, okay, here's the climax and then we stop, right? There was no catharsis. There was no moment of relief for the Andorians or for the humans. You know, I mean, here's Archer yeah. who's just been beat to a bloody pulp on behalf of the Vulcans, right? Yeah. To, quote, protect them because he believed them. And as it turns out, they were lying. Like, that to me is a moment that deserves... It, it, he deserves to confront... Yeah, in the episode, he definitely deserves some catharsis. I, I do see... I do. I vaguely remember in further future episodes, he does... This does get addressed. He does sure. gain catharsis for that. Um, and, and the Vulcans are held accountable. Um, however, yeah, like you're saying, in the, in the story... Not in the episode. Not in the episode. It is frustrating because... You have to wait several, I think, several more episodes, like into the future, before you get there because of the the downside of a um, of an American television system, like the twenty four episode season right, um, right, right, format. Right. I mean, you know, obviously they throw in a few filler episodes before you get back to this storyline, mm-hmm. and and that becomes frustrating as a viewer to wait for that. Right. Um, yeah, I definitely so, agree. The part of the episode that I want to defend and the part that a lot of people seem to have trouble with um, because mm-hmm. because Enterprise suffers from storytelling problems. Like, let's sort of just put that out on the table. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a problem that is consistent throughout the series. Enterprise gets you where, you know, gets you right up to that line and then stops short. And, yeah. and this happens episode after episode. Some really great episodes turn out to be sort of bad because they don't take you over that line. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, they could be good and then they aren't. So... So, okay, so, like, this episode suffers from the same problems that most Enterprise episodes suffer from, which is, you know, some some very strange storytelling um, decisions. Mm-hmm. The issue that people seem to have with this episode is not the storytelling, but the sort of reversal of Trek canon mm-hmm. regarding the Vulcans and the sort of weird obsession that Trek fans have 
with the Vulcans. In the sense that, like, they're supposed to be superior in some way. They're supposed to have guided us from, you know, our sort of whatever primordial beginnings to the space age. And instead, in this episode, they come off... Wait, I wrote down some descriptors because I actually, like, at the moment where, you know, as, as they're sort of, you know, going through... I wrote Vulcans down. If I were to describe them... Uh, I would say that they're secretive, devious, conniving, self-righteous, and then finally treacherous, which is the worst of, of the, them all, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the ninth circle of hell is reserved for traitors. Mm-hmm. And I mean, these are the Vulcans, right? So for some reason, Trek fans have a problem with this portrayal of Vulcans. But to me, they've always been that way. N- I'm sorry. I'm 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 very sorry, but uh, could you give me examples of that? Because I feel like if you're going to make that claim, um, outside of Enterprise, like remove Enterprise from your example list that you're going to give me. Give me some examples of any other series where Vulcans behave in such a manner. How about Tuvok and the uh, Maquis? You mean? Tuvok, who is a Federation security officer who's been tasked with doing covert operations. I mean, Tuvok, the guy that becomes the first officer on board a Maquis ship only to betray every member of his crew. Yeah. I get that I, he's I mean, a double he, agent, but, uh, but that's, that's not... That's, I, I'm that's, sorry, you're, you're talking like any Federation officer could have been put in that position, not just a Vulcan. I, I feel that that example is a bit of a stretch. I don't think it's a stretch at all because I think that the reason that Tuvok is able to do what he's able to do, to lie to the face of a man like Chakotay, who's a good man, right, uh, uh, and um, and other, you know, Balana. I mean, he's, he's able to, like, easily lie to them is because he's a Vulcan. He has no trouble making, you know, sort of sort of doing what he sees as right. And, and there's another... Um, I, yeah. There's there's some episodes in, in Next Gen where, like, you know, Vulcans are sort of painted with this brush of you can use logic to defend anything. And, like, and, and this is the problem with Vulcan logic is that there, there's a way to sort of make logical loopholes. There's this idea that Vulcan logic is is bulletproof, but it's not. And I think that, in fact, a lot of times Vulcan logic, they come off as cold, unfeeling, uncaring, right? And and this is intentional. Mm-hmm. This is part of their yeah. culture. And I think that, that that kind of logic, that sort of leap into, you know, pure logos mm-hmm. is, is a problem, especially in an age when their job, their role in the universe at this point is to guide civilizations from their humble beginnings into a new federation and into a space age. It's not a good tactic to say, well, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of sort of, I mean, one of the things that I remember specifically is the way that um, Sarek treats Spock, his son. And and he, I mean, he is cruel to Spock. It, it is, it is, it is inhumane. And I, I think I mean that in both, in both senses here. Um, literally that it, they are inhuman, but also that, that it is cruel to treat Spock the way that he treats Spock. And he treats him this way even in TOS. There's, a, there's an episode where, and I don't remember the name of it, but there's an episode where um, Spock's parents come on board. Yeah, it's where they first introduce Sarah. Right, and yes, exactly. And Spock 
like they don't even acknowledge one another's existence. His, mm-hmm. I think it's a stepmother, not his actual mother, but a stepmother yeah. that is the one that says, oh, Spock, it's so good to see you. You know, I mean, so this, he's married to a human. His son is half human. And his response to humans and to his own son is cruel. Okay. Um, you said a lot there. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, uh, look, just to go back a little bit on that. Vulcans in general, like, not, I mean... I really don't want to dive into, like, Vulcan behavior in general, but I guess we kind of have to. That is their MO. Like, they're, they're designed, their characters are designed to be cold. Not, not necessarily cold and unfeeling, but to prioritize the logical outcome above emotions and above everything else because if you take into account emotion and things you won't be able to get anything done if you let if you let emotions rule you you may not always make the right decision and and they're more concerned with making the right decision and how that pertains to this particular episode and how the Vulcans are portrayed in this series is a flaw in like I guess it's it's Oh, this is so frustrating for me because I really hate how they portray the Vulcans in this series. And I and I think it doesn't make sense in general, but you're making me look at it a little deeper. Hang on, let me finish. <laughs> you're making me look at it a little deeper and it does make sense because what it ends up being is that not only are the humans evolving in this series still to find where to 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 the point where we find them in uh TOS, but so are the Vulcans. Uh, the Vulcans here are logical to the point of paranoia. They see the Andorians as a illogical, irrational, very chaotic race. And so they think that they, logically, they think that they need to keep eyes on them to make sure that their actions aren't going to affect the Vulcan homeworld because of their close proximity to each other. Um, and... Dang you for making me come to that realization because that's not the argument that I wanted to have today. I wanted to have the argument where Vulcans are logical and they don't ha- they don't act this way. And why are you making them act this way? But you're right, they do, they and do. it makes makes sense. But they don't do af- But in TOS, next gen, and even in Voyager and DS Nine, they don't. They don't but behave that way. I don't think it's. I don't think it's. I don't think it's a coincidence that everybody's favorite Vulcan is half human. I think that it is I think that it's the human side of Spock that we like. Mm-hmm. The Vulcan side of Spock is almost he's 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 unpalatable. I mean he's he's terrible. In the sense that like he yeah. he, he doesn't I mean th- there are there are traditions in on Vulcan that mm. even in TOS make zero sense. Yeah. Th- there is no logic to them. Specifically, their mating traditions are horrifying on every level. Yeah. And that's something that is canon. So Yeah, no, their, their mating traditions are pretty horrific. Um, and that was something I did. Uh, uh, thanks for bringing that up because that is something I wanted to, wanted to talk about. Um, with regards to the temple, um, like just the scenic design of that, mm-hmm. how it, it evokes this imagery of Buddhism and these very beautiful depictions and all these artifacts that they have. It, to me, didn't make sense 
for Vulcans because you have to think you ha- like for me you would have to think that once they adopted logic it, it's not very logical to make these idols to logic or make these things like wh- where's the logic in creating all these relics and and having a reliquary to house them and, and all these like to have this sentiment with an, with an object where's logic in that but they have it and they create these they create these items and they store them and they have a stone that people touch like where's the logic in in having sentiment i mean i have to agree with you in the sense that like yes where is the logic in having sentiment and attaching it to objects but i don't think it's out of character for vulcans again i'm going to go back to tuvok and his insistence on like solitude and you know what i mean i mean it's not like yeah. he lives in a, it's not like he lives in a in a in a you know, blank cell. I mean, he lives in, a, in comfortable quarters. He has mm-hmm. all kinds of relics from his past. Um, you know, I mean, he he uses objects for his for his religion. Um, I mean, there's nothing. Yeah, no, I mean, he he has like a lamp that he uses for meditation with a flame on it. Right, which is but, weird. But, Why? I mean, I mean it's if, something to focus on. I mean, obviously, you ever stared fire for a while? It's kind of mesmerizing. Right, but so that but that's the whole point, right? Is that is that Vulcans. Even Vulcans in in Voyager, so you know several, you know two centuries after the you know three centuries after Enterprise, they 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 still need objects for their religion it's and for for their meditation, yeah. and and then he has he, he again he has these attachments to um, solitude. He has attachments to um, his you know his little candle thing. Like this is this is a. This to me is symbolic of the Vulcan religion, and 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 yes, it is not. I would not argue in any capacity that it is pure logic. I think, mm-hmm. in fact, I think, in fact, it, it's 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 like problematically um, emotional. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, when it comes to understanding Vulcans. I don't think of them as these just pure logical beings. In fact, I think of them as being sort of rather illogical. What I think their sort of fatal flaw, their fundamental, um, or, or, or what makes a Vulcan fundamentally Vulcan, is their self righteousness. Mm-hmm. That's a Vulcan. Tuvok is self righteous. Um, Tapal is self righteous. Uh, you know, Spock is to an extent self righteous. Again, and I and I think I think his redeeming quality is his human quality. Um, mm-hmm. So. You know, when when you see... Yeah, I mean, like, if, if we want to talk about, you know, Spock... I mean, we can talk about Spock all day and, like, how, you know, he's the best Vulcan because of the things that we like about him, because because of the humanity that we like about him. There's, we there's don't evidence, like him because he's there's, Vulcan, there's, is my point. There's, yeah, no, there's, there's evidence to back that up. I mean, he is the best of both worlds. and But the thing is, is also... You see those aspects in the other Vulcans throughout the series, throughout the throughout the franchise. Um, you see aspects of that in Tuvok, where Tuvok does have sentimentality. Um, you see those aspects in T'Pol, right. even. The problem with the Vulcans is that they're not willing to admit that they have this emotional side. That's not that's not necessarily true because they address it in several episodes where they do have the emotional side. They they allow the the emotions to inform logic, and it's they, but they, it's the Vulcans who don't who who don't allow their emotions to inform their logic are the ones that become the problem. But okay, so for instance, Sarek dies of a disease where basically all of his emotions hit him at once. He's been yeah, it's a mental it's a mental disorder. Right. As, I mean, the point is, is that like Vulcans are so 
averse to emotion that at the end of their life they have emotion it, having emotion is considered a disease like no that's, that's not that's not what that is that's not, I think you're taking that out of context I'm not at all that's no, exactly that's, the point that's, you're taking that one out of context because that disease is not something that affects every Vulcan they, they make a point of that in that episode that you're talking about but that not every Vulcan that, goes through too. colonar that's so, not true yeah no it not the, every Vulcan goes through colonar Absolutely not. Like that's one of the, it's like one of the major points of, of Vulcanism is that you can choose to go through colonar or not. Where oh yeah, where you purge emotion. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. so to me, it seems like I mean I don't know if there has been a study uh, of you know of the correlation between colonar and the disease that kills Sarek, <laughs> but I feel like there would be a pretty long, pretty large like corollary effect there, right? I mean I know correlation is not causation, but I mean I think it's like. I'm just I, saying, see, here's the as thing, the Vulcan though. CDC looked into this, <laughs> I don't think they have. I think it's here's a problem. The thing, though. Here's the thing, though. The thing that affected Sarek at the end of his life that was affecting the inter- the Enterprise crew on, on TNG for that episode, I think that that is the Vulcan equivalent of dementia. And regardless yes, of how I, you I behave right. in life, I mean, you're going to encounter dementia at the end of life. And the, just because... I mean, because here's the thing. We're looking at the Star Trek universe through the lens of the human experience. If we were looking at this through the lens of the Vulcan experience, we would have much more of a uh, – many more examples of Vulcan life. We don't have any Vulcans who have um, – who haven't gone through Kulinar and, and purged emotion. Right. We don't have very many examples of those. I think, I think throughout the entire series – we get throughout the entire franchise. We get maybe two. We get one of the movies where you you meet Spock's brother, um, and then we get uh, a little later in Enterprise that whole crew who comes on and is mind melding with folks and passing their brain STD to to Paul. You know, like we get we get that, and then we get and then we get uh, you know right. Spock's brother. But, okay, so my so so this is another part of the problem with Vulcan, and I think this is I think this is sort of getting to my point that. This episode proves, or at least at least supports, Vulcan canon, which is that they are a theocracy, and the only people that succeed in Vulcan culture are those who have gone through Kulinar. So you, if you want to be a successful Vulcan, you have to purge all emotion. And I mean, you notice that the people that are on Earth, that are ambassadors to Earth, have gone through Kulinar. T'Pol has gone through Kulinar. All of the, the you know, I mean... Well, Spock Sp- didn't go through Kulinar. But Spock is half-human. He could have chosen to go through Kulinar. This, they make but, several references to but that. This is, but this is exactly the point, is that the reason that Spock is successful is because he chooses a human and not a Vulcan path. If he had okay. chosen a Bo- Vulcan path, he would not be the first officer of anything. Yeah. Well, you also, have, officer, to at, you also have to look at uh, Tuvok. You, you bring Tuvok up. He didn't go through Kulinar his first stint in Starfleet. And he got pretty far. Again, using a human and not a Vulcan path. This is this is exactly my point. Well, is Starfleet is um, is the explorer military wing of the Federation. Vulcan is a member. The planet Vulcan is a member of the Federation. I understand that, but it's it's but but people are judged on human metrics in 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 Starfleet, and I I think it's I think it's significant that the successful Vulcans that we see. That mm-hmm. are that stay with Vulcan and don't sort of cross into Federation or cross mm-hmm. into Starfleet or whatever, right? They are ones who have been through this 
religious ceremony that takes a long time. And yeah. I, I think that it's significant in that, like, we're supposed to see them as a predominantly religious culture. And if you are not religious, and if you do not buy into the Vulcan, um, you know... Cult of logic. Cult of logic, then you are out. That means that you yeah. do not have a say in your government or in, in hmm. you know, in anything. And so I, I think... I think that the only thread of, of um, I, I think that the thread that matters when it comes to Vulcan canon is the thread of self-righteousness. The Vulcans are, they believe that they are superior. And they will never tell you that, but that's what they believe. Hmm. And it is, it is, I think that this episode is continuing a tradition of, of Vulcans' belief in their own superiority. See, I... I disagree with that, and and here here's why, Be, because attitude does not equal thought. Like you don't think you're superior to me, but from the outside, somebody might take how you view how you speak to me. Like uh, I'm using us as an example here, um, how you speak to me as you thinking you're superior to me, but you don't. So the Vulcans, how they speak to humans and other races, they speak to them from a point of, I don't have a, emo- I'm not going to use emotion on this topic. I'm going to give you logic, share plain and simple logic. This is it. I, I, that's that's all I'm going to tell you. You can take that because you you're employing emotion. You're going to take that how you take it. Like here's the you're you're because you're informing your decision and your opinions with emotion. You're going to say, okay, so blue is the best color in the world. A Vulcan will go, no, the best color in the world is green because X, Y, and Z. And they list out a logical reason. You're informing blue is the best color with the emotion you have towards blue. I see what you're saying. Here's the problem. The problem with the problem with the idea that Vulcans, first of all, Vulc, the reason I think Vulcans are self righteous is because they do nothing that indicates otherwise. They are not willing to learn from other cultures. They are there to teach other cultures. That is the self righteous side. I disagree. And and here's and here's my here's my I disagree with that but, statement. But here, let me finish. Here's my counter evidence. Data, data is purely logical. Data is purely emotionless, and yet when he speaks to humans, he speaks to them as though he is there to learn something from them. Mm-hmm. And the Vulcans, every race that they have interacted with, in fact, name me one race that they've interacted with that we see frequently that they haven't gone to war with them. And the reason that they go to war with them is because the way that they treat other races is as though they are superior and they have something to teach. They are not willing to learn from other races. I, th- I disagree with that statement, and here is why. One, we learn that the Vulcans do learn from other races. They do observe other races, and they acquire data from that race. They don't like data. You use, you're using data here. Data is programmed to obtain knowledge by a certain means. The Vulcans, the way that they observe and the way that they obtain knowledge is through a logical aspect they use their logic to inform how they gather data so what they're doing is they're going out to earth in one instance there's the um the ep- the episode where T'Pol is describing how her grandmother came to earth many millennia ago during the 60s and 
you know, during the cold, the height of the Cold War. Yeah. And they obtained data that way. That's they're how they got it. They're anthropologists. They're anthropologists at the turn of the century studying, you know, indigenous cultures as though they are inferior. I mean, I don't think of that as the same way as data gathering information from. I mean, yeah. data. But data also, reckon- the in, the, also the endpoint between data and the Vulcans are different. Data, his end goal is to become more human. Vulcans, their end goal is to learn more. Their end goal, yeah, but but the way that they set about learning is as though the cultures have nothing to teach them per se. They they they, they they're not going to learn something from human culture. I but, disagree but, with but, that. But but rather they're going to maybe take something um, from you know from them as far as um, you know technologically or something like this. I I think of I think of Vulcans in the same way I think of British colonialists. And there's nothing, there's nothing in any any of their series that indicates otherwise to me. I disagree wholeheartedly, because British colonialists obviously they're not in it. They weren't ever in it to learn from the local cultures. They were That's in not it. True. They not, that is exactly true. They I'm reading Mutiny on the Bounty right now, and like one of the one <laughs> one of one of the major okay. points is that Byam, who's the lead character in the book, who, who's it's from his perspective that we're getting all this information. He's going to Tahiti specifically to learn Tahitian language. Okay, they're there to learn the Tahitian Thank language. You. Fine, but the the main goal of Britain by going and plopping a colony down in India is not to learn how to make good curry. That's a byproduct of it. That's not. Let me finish, please. Go ahead. That's that's obviously a byproduct of it, but what they're really there for is for resources. Like, that's their main goal. Uh, Hang on, hang on. Vulcans didn't come to Earth for resources. They didn't gain anything from Earth for the first hundred years that they were here, according to canon. They were here guiding Earth into space so that way they joined the spacefaring race. Whenever they came to observe in that story that I was depicting with T'Pol, it wasn't to gain resources. It was to observe the human race and how it was behaving and how it was interacting with itself. They didn't interfere. They didn't plop a colony down and have outposts all over the planet where, where the Earth's where you mean Earth like leaks, listening outposts? Where, where yeah, fine. Okay, I don't care. You throw that in there. That that does not detract from my argument that I'm making right okay, now. Okay, so you're telling me that Vulcans gained nothing from humanity. I have one thing that they gained from humanity. How about bodies and their ongoing war with the Romulans, the Klingons, and the Andorians? Well, hang on a second. The Vulcans were never at war with the Klingons. The Vulcans were never at war with the Klingons. I don't know that that's there's, true. There's no war between the Klingons and the Vulcans. They even they even address this at quite well at the beginning of Discovery in the first episodes. Basically, what happens whenever what the 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 Klingons whenever they would attack the whenever they would attack just any ship, they would destroy it. There was never really a war going on between them until the Vulcans. Every time they uh, they encountered a Klingon ship. They fired back on them, and then there was a mutual respect between the two because they knew that each race were strong races. Like, that's what happened. Right. There was never a So you're a telling war. me that exchanges of fire involving the destruction, wholesale destruction of some ships doesn't count as a war? What are no. we calling it a what police happened? action? What? Okay, hang on. Let me let me just lay this out here because I think you're you're taking little bits of my argument and not listening to the whole of it. I am listening no, to the whole not. of it. No, you're not. Just just let me throw it out here okay. for you. What happens is, is that the way that Klingon... The, Sorry, the way that the Vulcans operate 
just in general, is they observe, they take the sum of their data, and then they take an action on it. So what they observed was every time that they encountered a Klingon ship, they were fired on and destroyed. So what they decided was there's no talking to them. Let's what the, what the language they speak is force. So they took that data and then came back with that response of force. And then there was a peace between the two. You would call that a war, sure. But at no point did humans ever join in on that with them. Uh, except except during, they never did. Except during the war between the Federations and the Klingons, where yeah, human and that lives, was between the human that was between the Federation and the Klingons, not the Vulcans. So you don't think? So let's let's get this perfectly straight. You don't think that the Vulcans? Wait, that the Vulcans taking the humans, moving them up to spacefaring race over the course of a few hundred years, and then turning them into basically cannon fodder, a barrier between themselves and the Klingons, you don't think that was intentional okay. with the logical Vulcan? Hang on a second. Because what, I think well, hang that was on. perfectly you're, intentional. You're, you're totally taking that out of proportion, because that's not yeah. true. Yes, no, you're taking it out of proportion, because what we learn from this series is that, one, the, if anything, the Vulcans hold the humans back in terms of becoming spacefaring. They do that on their own. And it's not until the humans propose a federation of planets that the Vulcans actually join that and then they become and then they become a cooperative scientific venture for them. It's not until or, then No, no. No. That just <laughs> you're, 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 Why does it bother you so much? Because you're 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 full on Mitch McConnelling this right now. You're taking little oh, bits of on. data. You're taking little no. bits of data and taking it out of proportion. Like you're taking the one person that uses food stamps to buy lobster and saying all people use food stamps buy lobster. No, no, that's, that's not, not what's happening oh my, here. First of all, <laughs> wholesale dis- wholesale destruction of ships is not one person buying lobster. Second of all, second of all, the, no. What you're the, saying is what you're the, saying is is the Vulcans used humans in this manner. Yes, that's not what happened. Humans. Became rose up into the space fearing. So who, once they cast, who, hang on, no, no. Once they cast off from the Vulcans, like, and it's shown in this series, this series specifically, Enterprise. Once the humans detach themselves from the Vulcans, that's whenever they advance quicker. The Vulcans hold them back until that point, and once they are out there in space, traveling around, meeting other races, that's when they form the Federation of Planets, and the Vulcans aren't the leaders in the Federation of Planets. They are an equal member. And the wars that are that are caused by the United Federation of Planets, and I will say yes, by the United Federations of Planets, with the Klingons, with the Romulans, with all these other role with all these other races, it's not Vulcans who start those wars. It's usually Kirk and his ship that started those wars. Kirk and his ship who yes, has who, a first officer that is Vulcan. That that is inconsequential. Uh, who's ha- as you're fond of saying, who's half human? Okay. So so that ship <laughs> is like ninety nine point nine 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 percent human. So you're totally taking that out of context. You cannot blame all the Vulcans for half a human. Okay. So so no so no no. So my <laughs> point. No. For, okay. Okay. I listen to your point. My my point is that it seems awfully convenient that the Federation goes to war with enemies of Vulcan. Romulus. Okay. Uh, Kronos, right? Like, these are... the These are... Romulus and Kronos represent the two biggest threats to Vulcan. 
They are not a threat to Earth. They are not a threat to Earth. They never are. There is no wind in a Let me finish. They are not a threat to Earth. They never are a threat to Earth. They become a threat to Earth once we join in a treaty, in a in a pact with um, with Vulcan, and then all of a sudden we become a threat to them. And I think that it is not coincidental that the wars that happen with the Federation happen with members or with with um, enemies of Vulcan, namely the Romulans and the Klingons. So mm. I think that the Vulcan logic is that they take these races that are, quote, inferior to them, and they use them as pawns in their own sick game. I don't think that there's anything about Vulcan that is, I don't know that there's anything redeeming about the majority of Vulcan. I think that they're very conniving, and they're very devious, and they're treacherous. And I haven't seen anything in the original series or in TNG that indicates otherwise. And in fact, I've seen quite the opposite. The people that I like that are on Vulcan are actual like human beings or or Vulcans who have eschewed Vulcan logic in favor of human traits. Well, I think that's just your human emotion getting in the way. Right. Okay. So you see what I'm saying? Like so like there there is no Here's the thing though. I, I I so disagree with you and it's based on the fact that Vulcans don't interfere in like they I say they don't interfere. Mm-hmm. No, it's actually a pretty pretty apt statement. Uh, Vulcans really aren't the ones to interfere with another person's development. That's where the prime directive comes from. Mm-hmm. They don't interfere with another person with another culture's development. So the the concept, the construct that I was talking about earlier, I, I'm willing to admit that I was wrong. They actually didn't hold the humans back in development. They just didn't help them along. Humans got to the warp five engine on their own. And at that point, that's when they became equal to the Vulcans. And they went out and started communing with other cultures. And that's, I think, okay. Like, that's, I think, is great. And to say that... To say that the Vulcans are using humans in this point is, sure, they are manipulating them in this series. But towards the end of this series, we do find that that is no longer the case. That is no longer the happenstance because humans and Earth become or gain ground and are now on equal footing as the Vulcans. I at think, that but point. I, I think what happens is that I think the Vulcans, this, this, what they do on Earth suggests what they suggest a pattern. Right, it fe- and maybe maybe I'm mistaken, but it doesn't feel like you this are. is the first time. This is the first time that the Vulcans have done this. It feels like no, you're right. And we learned that about the we learned that with the with the Andorians. Let me finish. You talked for a long time and yelled at me for a long time. So let me finish. Okay. Um, what we see is the Vulcans being patronizing, mm-hmm. um, essentially holding back. The humans are more than willing to give the Vulcans whatever technology they have. They're more than willing to share whatever information they gain. They share lots of things with Vulcan, right? Mm-hmm. The Vulcans, on the other hand, do not reciprocate. Now, imagine imagine a species like, say, the paranoid, quote, paranoid Andorians dealing with something like that. And presumably, maybe it wasn't, maybe, maybe they didn't, but presumably Vulcans were the ones that guided them into the space age. Okay? So imagine that you have a race like the Andorians who may or may not have been paranoid before the Vulcans came. Then the Vulcans come. 
they are forthcoming with their technology. They are forthright with their with their culture. They, they give them all the information that they need. And then the Vulcans turn around and give them nothing and are technologically superior to the Andorians. Would that not make you a little bit paranoid? No, for sure. So I, th- this, this idea that the Vulcans have been nothing but benevolent, you know, bringers of peace all throughout the galaxy galaxy is not held up by the fact that the majority of people that they wait, the majority of people that they encounter, <laughs> the majority of people that they encounter, they end up at war with or in some kind of conflict. Right. So okay. like so maybe maybe not an all out war, but there is conflict. Okay. And, it, it, and it is it is the, the, the implications of the number of conflicts that the Vulcans enter into is indicative to me that there is a problem not with the other cultures, but with the Vulcans themselves. And that these cultures are only responding to the way that the Vulcans treat them. Okay, and that's fair. But first off, two, maybe three things. One, never said that the Vulcans were bringers of peace. Never said that. Mm. What I said was that they're logical and that they're doing their best by their logic. Essentially, that's what my argument boils down to. And if I didn't say that, that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Two. What was two? Oh, um, yes. So two, what I was getting at in my argument is that while the Vulcans do have these conflicts with other races, their goal and subsequently a lot of their actions is not gaining allies to throw as cannon fodder or to throw as de- as bodies at a problem. That's not what they do. They don't do that. Like, they do have their conflicts, but at no point in their own conflicts, like, the conflict that they do have with, between them and the Andorians that, that occur in this series, at no point in that conflict do they recruit humans to come fight in that world war. What would you call Starfleet or the Federation, then? I'm talking about this series. The Starfleet doesn't exist in this series. Okay, but... but and, and at no point does this Enterprise, the NX-01, join and fight alongside the Vulcans against the Andorians. Doesn't happen. And so your argument that they're throwing humans at, that, at their conflicts right here shows that that is not the case. My argument is that the Federation is a fundamental threat to Romulus and Kronos. Yes. Which happen to be the two biggest threats to Vulcan. In fact, are the two biggest threats to Vulcan. I don't think it's coincidental. I disagree that Kronos is a big threat to Vulcan. You disagree that the Klingons are a big threat to Vulcans? Yes. Because? Because nowhere in the series, nowhere in the canon, except for at the very beginning of Discovery, is that even mentioned. Ever. They never There's talk about it. There's a war between the Klingons. There's a war between they the Klingons. They do mention a war between the Klingons and the Federation, but the Federation is not the same as the Vulcan. At this point, hang on, at this point, the war that they're talking about is the war that happens at the beginning of Discovery. And and but the, the reason for that war, as we all know, is because the Vulc or the Klingons are nationalistic and they don't want to join into a Federation and they think that that is the growing change, right. the growing tide. They, and that has nothing to do with the Vulcans. The reason, that has nothing to do with the Vulcans' not true. interference. I, it doesn't. I, I, have, I, I, I totally disagree with I you. I absolutely have to disagree with the fact that the Federation, because the Federation benefits the Vulcans more than it benefits anyone else. And, 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 and again, by that I mean the Vulcans have enemies on two fronts. 
they have enemies in let's call let's call them enemies in potentia right so so the so the klingons are potential enemies for and 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 like a strong militaristic enemy for the vulcans that they don't feel capable of dealing with in the in the in the manner that they're used to right Mm -hmm. their their methods of war do not coincide with klingon methods of war right they're not the kind that are going to go into open conflict with the Klingons. They're the kind that are going to build a listening post inside of a 3,000-year-old temple. That's their bag, right? So so they don't go to war in the same way. But who does go to war in that way? Who is willing okay. to get their hands dirty, to, to, to roll their sleeves up and get into a fist fight? Okay. What, what group is willing to do that? Answer the question. What group is willing to do that? Space Americans. That's right, it. right. The Federation. Right. The Federation. That's and exactly right. But here's the thing, though. You're talking about the. You're talking about it like the Vulcans are are manipulating the Federation. You don't into say, this. You, okay. They're not. There's there's no way they are because who's Star the Charts? Thing. Here's the who's thing. Star Charts? Do the okay, Federation? You're use? Ta- here's the thing, though. You're what, skip it, Stop it. You're skipping over two hundred years of canon. In between these two things, you're talking. We're talking about. From Enterprise, where they get a star chart, where a few star charts, so they can go out and start exploring and meeting cultures. And you're skipping all the way up to a Klingon war that's like 200 years later, well after the Federation is established. You're, so, you're skipping so what, over so, so much so in, in this argument. Tell and you're, me what you're, happens to the Andorians. What happens to the Andorians? They become members of the Federation. Why don't we ever see them in TNG? Why don't we ever see them in any other... Why, why do they disappear after TOS? Why do okay? Don't know. Uh, yeah, it's a good question, isn't it? Isn't it weird how a lot of Vulcan enemies disappear once they join the Federation? What happens to Phlox's people? Wh- who are Phlox's people? That's the Denoblians. Um And yeah, no, that's the thing. But that's a problem in storytelling. It's not. A, I think because I think they never. Okay, listen. Because if you're you're trying to throw out saying you're you're, you're trying to insinuate that. Both the Andorians and the Nenobians get eradicated because of war. And that's just that it's one, it's it's preposterous because you're talking we're again, we're talking about storytelling through the lens of humans. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, and okay. so you're what you're I, right. talking about is that one we don't know how the rest of the Federation that looks. That one was a stretch, I'll I'll grant you. But I don't think it's that I, first of all, I don't think it's that much of a stretch to consider that the Vulcans had an endgame in in helping the humans to establish the Federation. And I, I think that that end game was ultimately. Okay. I think, but wait, I think that that end game was ultimately defense. Okay, here's and the thing, though. You need to watch the rest of this series before you make that comment. And I'm not saying that is like, oh, little lady, you need to you need to learn uh, I more. I think you are. But here's the thing: the Vulcans are actually at a point are actually against a federation. So, so you're you're talking about how the Vulcans want to manipulate right. the humans into it, but they're actually not for a, a federation of planets because. They want to have e- because the humans want to give everyone equal footing at this, and the Vulcans do not want to have equal footing as the Andorians. So then, why do they change their mind? Why do they change their mind? Because yeah. humans are very persuasive. Watch the damn series. Oh, you, you you think that you think that the reason that the completely logical Vulcans change their mind is because they think that a few stinky humans are more persuasive, or is it no. that they, or is it they realize the ground that they can gain in their continued war with Romulus? Right. Okay. okay, so so first so, off, so first so off, hang on. First off, hang on. In this series, Vulcans aren't at war with Romulus. They've been That's at war established. With... No, it's established that they're not. They're in the middle of a stalemate. I mean, but that no, doesn't No, they're just they're just two cultures that have separated off from each other at this point. 
And the and the Romulans have <laughs> segregated themselves and closed off all ties, kind of like Imperial Japan before World War Two, or like North Korea, or like North Korea, who's currently sure we're still at war with them, but we're at a what's called a uh, uh, ceasefire. Cease okay, but, but that's but, not the case because there's never been any shots fired between Vulcan and Romulus at this point. Is okay, so that is con- so maybe that completely violates canon because as I recall in TNG, the quote, let's say ceasefire between Romulus and, and Vulcan has been going on for hundreds of years. Like it's 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 one of those things where it's a tentative piece at best. There's all kinds of issues with it, right? Like, I mean, so I'm 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 not disagreeing with you that this may be the case in the series, but my point is that it sort of that does violate canon, and and I mm-hmm. guess I guess my I guess I guess the point being here is that what it seems to me is that a lot of times the interpretation of Vulcans is that they're doing things because they're like benevolent whatevers, right? Mm-hmm. When in actuality, they're pretty conniving. And to me, there's really nothing in their, in their, in their backstory. There's nothing in TOS. There's nothing in TNG. There's nothing in Voyager. There's nothing in Deep Space Nine that indicates otherwise. Like, okay. all I ever see of Vulcans is them being conniving. The, the exception to that rule, maybe the exception that proves the rule, is Spock. But Spock is half human. Okay. And here's my contention on that, and I think we should move on from this topic because we've been talking about it for about an hour now. Mm-hmm. But my contention is that there is nothing in those same series that point to the fact that they are conniving. No. Seriously, I literally uh, okay, gave like stop. four pieces. Like, hang oh, on, okay. hang on, okay. hang on, and I just and I refuted them all. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Okay, first off. Okay, so let's let's okay, let's, let's go back through them right quick, because I let you get your piece out, and now you're talking over me. But okay, <laughs> sorry, but Tuvok, guy undercover, not that that could have been any person. You're, 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 but it wasn't. It was okay. a Vulcan. Yeah, it was Tuvok for the point of the story. They chose a Vulcan for that. But honestly, whenever we talk about, whenever you look at pre-Voyager, anybody who is conniving pre-Voyager, talking about TOS, Next Gen, there is no way Vulcans fit the mold of someone who could be a secret agent. They throw Tuvok in there because it's a plot device. And honestly, so anybody else could have been in that role. They could have picked any other race, any other person, any other gender, and it would have served the same purpose. Mm-hmm. And we'd be having a conversation about how the Denobulans are sneaky people. So, okay, okay what so were your other points? What were your other points um, that, that made them sneaky? Uh, Vulcan mating ritual. Vulcan mating ritual, that's not a sneaky thing. I wasn't that's talking, just a weird I thing. I didn't, say, I didn't say that they were just sneaky. You will, If you will recall, my description of Vulcans were secretive. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me the Vulcans aren't secretive. Okay, hang on. Tell what? me the Vulcans aren't secretive. Tell, answer that. Are they secretive? Anywhere other than Enterprise? No. Enterprise, they are secretive. They have like secret cabal meetings. They don't that's even. That's their they personal even, rituals. They, oh, okay. That's their personal. So that's, that's the answer. That's their it, private religion okay they're not so evangelical answer, so your answer for vulcan for your answer okay for let me ask not, you this. Wait, 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 wait. your answer for vulcans not being secretive is well they're private what is another word for okay. private you're talking about no, whenever you're talking about they're having secret cabals meaning like they're they're religious they're, they're religious or their the religious observances 
Name me a religion other than Christianity, which is evangelical by nature, that doesn't have some private religious meaning that is not meant to be shared with the masses. Most religions have no problem being shared with the masses. I mean, if you ask, if, like, like if you go to most religious houses, there are some that don't, but they tend to be in the minority, and they also tend to be sort of cultish, right? Um, but most religions are very comfortable with outsiders coming in and observing their religious rituals. They have no problem with it. And, like, this, mm-hmm. is, this is exactly the problem with Vulcans, is that they have, they have no problem walking in and observing other cultures surreptitiously, right, as spies, basically. Mm-hmm. If, you were to, if you were to know that Vulcans were on the planet in the 1960s, would you not think that maybe they were spying on you? For your technolo- for technology, or to make sure that you're, you know, I mean, like there is all yeah. kinds of crazy things. So the fact, the fact that it is a secret that the Vulcans were spying on, mm. you know, okay, so like, let, all right, so secretive, I think definitely devious, absolutely, they're okay. absolutely devious. Tuvok proves how devious they are. Conniving, absolutely. Okay, I first self righteous. Do you disagree that the Vulcans are self righteous? I don't disagree with that okay. at all. Treacherous. My argument for treacherousness comes from from um, um, specifically from this episode, and I'll grant you that it's specifically from this episode. But but I don't think that it is out of line with the the previous one, two, three, four descriptors that I use for the Vulcans. The descriptor I use for the Andorians, by the way, vindicated. That's the Andorians. <laughs> they are vindicated. Such a human mindset. No, yeah, but but my point my point is is that this whole Vulcan yeah. logic is absolute BS. No, because and I'm not disagreeing with the, with that that it's that is BS. What I'm disagreeing with is the like some of your examples, like the Tuvok example. I I wholeheartedly cannot support that, and I have to argue against it because. To say that Tuvok supports your position that they are conniving or sneaky, that 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 is so out of context. Because Tuvok was on a mission from the Federation, given to him by more than likely a f- human admiral or a human commander. Which wait okay. a second, his commander was a human of right. uh, Janeway. I have I have another I have another example of. Vulcan deviousness. That's not an enterprise. That's not an enterprise. It's in TNG. Okay. And it's a two-parter. And it's when uh, Spock goes to Romulus in order to uh, incite rebellion against the Romulan government. Hold on. That's actually... I'm going to disagree with you on that because, one, he's not trying to incite rebellion against the Romulan government. What he's trying to do is develop a cohesion between the two cultures the way that he getting, does this is by attempting a coup he doesn't attempt a coup they have armed like people inside their whatever um government building okay if you re- if you rewatch that episode that two-part episode what's happening is he is there to try to gain support to open up relations between the two and attempt a reunification hang on and attempt a reunification between the two cultures is what he's trying to do. So, so hang on, how is he doing hang this? on. How is he doing this? I'm, a, I'm getting there. So what he's doing there is he is teaching Romulans about their history as part of Vulcan, mm-hmm. childhood games, things and such. Mm-hmm. And the reason they have those armed guys is because that is a the, the Romulan government views that as a threat. 
They're the ones and that hang rightfully on. so. <clears throat> no. Yes. No. Stop for a second, please. They're viewing it as a threat. And so the Vulcan and the Romulans, the, the one Vulcan and the rest of the Romulans there that are in support of this reunification are under threat, being taken into prison, being killed, being persecuted. And he's there to serve as a sort of unifier is a person to lead a unification. He's not there trying to be rebellious. He's not gaining troops. At no point do you see him training people in fighting or shooting or any kind of rebellious activity okay. other than what... Instead, what he's trying to do is he's trying to indoctrinate impressionable young Romulan youth in the ways of Vulcan logic. He basically is, he what is, he is doing, he, and the, the metaphor is He's trying not, to convert them. That's yeah. what he's trying to do. Yeah, he's the the metaphor that is probably the best way to describe what what Spock is doing is almost comparing him to say Sophie Scholl, somebody who disseminates literature against the Nazis. This is not the same thing. It, it is, very much this is. This is not the same thing. It very Romulans much is. are not Nazis. Like let, they're let, pretty dang close. No, they're not. They're not even remotely close. Okay, what they're would you call e- what would you call a culture that takes over planets? Um, what planet do they take over? <clears throat> The entirety of the Romulan star empire. Like, all of that. their solar system. It's not just their solar system. They have, like, look at any map of of territories. Did they eradicate the people that were on the planets? Is that that what we're... Because I've never read They do enslave them. Who? They don't have slaves? Yes, they do. Um, What is it? Uh, Insurrection, Shinzon, and the entire race of people that are enslaved to mine planets? They have like Klingon captives in one episode. And then, then in fact, um, in the the alternate timeline, you have... um, um, What's her name? Crap. Tasha Yar being a captive, right? Uh, But they're not treated as slaves. I mean, they're treated... Very well, right? Yeah, like, but I mean, I'm talking about insurrection, which is which is Star Trek yeah, canon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is an entire race of people that is enslaved to do mining. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, uh, okay, but 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 my point is my point is is that I don't think that the Romulan government is entirely wrong regarding, and I mean this is one of those things where this Romulan is, sympathizer. No. Okay. Like, <laughs> um, you're right. He is subverting their government, yeah. but their government is actively oppressing any counter view that the government lays out. They are actively oppressing it. They are an oppressive regime. So what would you call the way that, this is my other point that you didn't actually answer, what would you call the way that um, Vulcan treats people who refuse to go through Kulinar? Is that not active suppression of people who don't buy into the Vulcan cult? Hmm. That's a good point. It's a good point. Um, it is, it, it's, I don't, I wouldn't call it active suppression, but I would call it, I would call it a form of suppression for sure. Yeah. I mean, so I would argue that the Vulcan culture is inherently oppressive. In, in, um, in this area, I agree. In Enterprise, definitely agree. It is. But I in would other- argue all the way up to, at least up to TOS. We could maybe make some arguments for TNG and Voyager, although I, mm-hmm. I would be hard-pressed to make those arguments. Yeah. I, I th- what, I, what I think about Vulcan culture is that there is th- their sense of self-righteousness and their the sort of theocratic, oppressive mm-hmm. nature is what causes a lot of the strife between the Federation and other planets. I think that there is, a, I think that there is an inherent 
issue with the way that the Vulcans treat other cultures. And I and I'm not saying I'm not saying that this doesn't maybe overemphasize it, but I think that it's within I think that it makes sense within the canon. I gotcha. think I think I think that the Vulcans I just don't think that they're this like I don't understand the the um what's the word I want to use? The fandom of this race. I mean in, in the sense that like in the, in the, I understand the fandom of this race in the same way that I understand the fandom of the Klingon race, right? Like they have a very set rigid structure um that people like. But but in the sense that like it's a quote good structure or a mm-hmm. better than human structure, I don't see that at all. Mm-hmm. In fact, I see quite the opposite. And I think that this I think the Enterprise highlights that really well and highlights the problems with Vulcan logic really well. Um, and I was I was surprised, I was pleasantly surprised that there was a indictment of Vulcan virtue um, in, in Enterprise. I think that that's probably a good thing because mm-hmm. because the, the problems with Vulcan virtue are that they mm-hmm. are self-righteous. I'm going to go back to my words. Treacherous, mm-hmm. conniving, devious, and secretive. Okay. And just saying... I still disagree with you yeah, on, on no, all those I, yeah. on all, all those topics, and I honestly only think that they get those depths in Enterprise because, as a storyteller, uh, they are attempting to make this this group of characters more than one dimensional. Yeah, and maybe. I think this is like the, like the first attempt or the first major attempt at it, and I think what it does is it really throws canon on its head. Mm, I don't know about that. I'll have to. We'll have to agree to disagree on that point. Yeah. Okay, so I guess it's time for. So what track news do you have today, Jason? Well, um, there's been quite a bit of stuff that I'm actually incredibly excited about. Okay. Um, Okay, so there's one thing specifically that I do kind of want to talk about and I'm cautiously optimistic about. It's a movie Mm -hmm. called Please Stand By. Some of you may have heard about this already. It kind of looks like a little bit of like a art house kind of indie flick. Dakota Fanning, all grown up, plays a young autistic girl who writes a script for a competition, a Star Trek fan competition about her favorite character, Spock. Now, there's been a lot of hemming and hawing about this movie because, again, it's a person who is not on the spectrum, playing a person on the spectrum, who is very into Star Trek, which is kind of a trope at this point. Like, that's kind of one of those things, like, you have Sheldon in Big Bang Theory who loves Star Trek, who loves Spock, Um, and here's another example of that, you know? But, you know, some of the things I saw in the preview, like Patton Oswalt is in it, plays like a, plays a cop who's into Star Trek, who who relates to the young girl. It it looks really interesting, and and I really like... I really like the concept, so I do want to see it, and I, I'll, I'll reserve judgment on it until I get a chance to see the movie. But it looks good. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I, I'm. It seems a little too feel goody for me, um, and and I just, I, I'm not. I, like, I, oh, dang these happy emotions! I know, emotions. I know. I just, I, I'm not like a big feel good movie fan, but, but I, you know, but I'll watch it. I'm sure it's good, and I'm sure, I'm sure I'll enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, if only for the trick aspect. I mean, it's not my bag of tea, and not, you know, I mean, I, it's just that whole, like, I just think mm-hmm. it's too easy to like you know, wrench someone's emotions from them when you have that kind of feel-good movie. Yeah. But that's cool. I mean, I'll watch it anyway. I think it'll yeah, be good. No. I like Dakota Fanning, and I do like Patton Oswalt, so. Yeah, I like Dakota Fanning in spite of all the bad things people say about her. Who says bad things about well, Dakota no, Fanning? Well, no, people always, people, there for a while, whenever she was really popular, people just loved to rag on her. Well, she did do War of the Worlds, and that scream She was, was a child. Right, but whoever directed her to scream like that was horrible, because it was horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was see, that's the thing though. People love to bag on child actors. Oh, I do. And I think that's I, I think that's awful. Like they want to bag on their performances, like the the movie that shall not be named. Yeah, no. And I the know, little boy that played Anakin. Oh, I don't know. That if you, guy catches caught so much crap, and it yeah. wasn't his fault. I don't know if you read. Um, I can't think of the little kid's name, but he's the curly headed kid that plays Dustin on. Um, Stranger, Stranger Things. Things. Oh, he just caught a lot of flack because he didn't want to sign autographs, and he's like, he's like, oh, six, yeah, he's like fourteen yeah. or thirteen. I don't know how old he is. Yeah. It doesn't even matter. Yeah, he's no, under, he's under that. Age. And Sophie, uh, Sophie Turner from uh, um, Game of Thrones, like, came to his defense. Was yeah. like, come on, man, you're a grown person trying to get autographs from a child. Of it who's the who's the a, jerk here? It doesn't matter know? if it was a child trying to get autographs from a child. Like, it's yeah. just not fair to expect. To have the same expectations of child actors as we do of adult actors. Exactly, and fra- yeah. And frankly, I well, I don't understand the obsession with actors anyway. I mean, I would probably fangirl if like Patrick Stewart walked in, but you know, <laughs> but 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 as far as as far as just like, you know, I don't know. I I, I, I don't need an autograph, yeah. you know. Um, Fair enough. I, anyway. So anyway. okay, so my so my uh okay, so Trek News, I guess for for me and something that I'm super excited about is that there is going to be a second season of The Orville. It has officially been confirmed. Oh, yes. And I am excited about that. I was, so so this, the news came out that um, they were going to not air a 13th episode because it was supposed to be 13 episodes in season one and instead it ended up being 12 episodes, uh, which was like, wait, so what does that mean? <laughs> what do we do? Um, but it turns <laughs> out that, it turns out that um, it's because they're planning on airing it uh, when season two comes out, which I'm super, super excited about. I thought season one was phenomenal. It was, I mean, for me, it was everything I love about Star Trek. Oh, um, I know. With some funny jokes. Um, yeah. Well, maybe less than funny jokes, but okay, sort no, of funny they were, jokes. They're, they were funny. Some of them were funny. Some of them were a bit okay. forced. But yeah, but I, I didn't care really because for me, I, well, and first of all, I, I think that there are lots of um, attempts at humor anyway in, in Star Trek. Um, you know, some, yeah, some they, successful, they do. some not. They do. I mean, there's there's plenty of funny. This obviously is a little more overt, more modernized humor. Right. You know, more, I would say, adult in some aspects. It's that it doesn't take itself as seriously as Star Trek. Yeah, itself. And, and I and love I, that. And I think that that's, I think that that's appropriate. I think that, I think that this, I think that, you know, yeah. uh, this generation, and I don't mean, you know, yeah. age generation, I mean generation of television, doesn't really lend itself to seriousness in the same way that Star Trek sort yeah. of. And, I, and I, in fact, I would argue that a lot of the, like, overly serious um, 
um, you know, science fiction shows that have come out mm-hmm. running to a wall after season three, looking at you, Walking Dead. Um, <laughs> so, so, so I, I think, I think being able to sort of step back yeah. and not take yourself too seriously is a real, is a real good thing for, yeah. for the Orville. Um, so that, that was yeah. exciting for me. And then the other thing that's exciting for me is oh. it's been out. Sorry, I've got one more track news. No, uh, no. I wanted to say something about the Orville and like why oh, I think ahead. it lands yeah. so great. No, no, go ahead. Uh, no, I think, I think like in addition to what you're talking about, I think, or maybe not in addition, but maybe like opposed to what you were saying there about it. I think the reason why it lands so well with audiences is the fact that the humor is there. Like, mm-hmm. if you took the humor away and just played that show, it would be essentially TNG, and right. I don't think it would land as well because it, it's modern audiences or audiences in this time need or are, are requiring some sort of, like, grittiness or darkness, or they want the humor. Like, one right. or the other. Right, you right, can't right. really have both. Because this has the humor as kind of a, a main part of it, you are allowed to have that back world, like the actual world that it's set in, to be a little bit lighter. If you took that humor away, it would need to be darker, kind of like you see in Discovery. Yes. And I uh, think that's the yes, point. That I, that's that's the reason why the Orville lands so well. I think you're right. I think that there's a... I think that there's a a level of cynicism in modern audiences that, mm-hmm. that requires either humor or darkness. Exactly. I, and I think grittiness is overplayed, frankly. I mean, yeah, we've had this conversation. Looking at you, Walking Dead. Yeah, look at, here's looking at you, Walking Dead. Um, <laughs> um, I think grittiness is way overplayed. Yeah, and, no, I um, agree. And I, and I think that it sort of becomes like problematic after after a season yeah. or two. So, okay, so my other... It's not news. I mean, every this is this is this is news. The way that like the sky is blue is news, or you know, or the ocean is wet is news, or yeah. the Pope is Catholic is news. Um, <laughs> so the the news is is that uh, wait, Star wait, Wars. Wait, the Pope is Catholic. <laughs> yeah, oh. uh, yeah. I recently learned that too. Um, so uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, big news for me is that uh, Star Wars uh, has uh, has released. Um, its latest installment, uh, episode eight. I am. Mm-hmm. I ha- we haven't seen it yet, so I know. So I no, I mean you can't spoil it for us because we're not right, listening right, right. to you. <laughs> right, right. But uh, um, yeah. and in fact, I've, I've like actively. <laughs> Jason thinks I'm uh, crazy because I actively avoid all like trailers. The last <laughs> movie we went to, you put your fingers in your ears and started making noises in the audience while other people were looking at us like we were crazy. I don't want to know anything like I already know that BB-8 is in this one and I didn't want to know that like I I, I don't want to know any of it because 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 for me wait like, wait BB-8's in this yeah yeah I know um I only know that because of Walmart and their stupid merchandising um so like so you, basically what you're telling me before the next one comes out I need to dig you a hole in the ground yes, for you to live in seriously. and I'll just lower a tray of food into it three times a day I'm serious because and I know that sounds crazy but the reason why is that like the less I know about the film, the more I'm going to enjoy it. Like, when yeah. I got excited um, about um, the Unholy Trilogy, like, it was because I was watching trailers where you have, you know, the the um, pod races and all kinds of crazy things. In fairness. Okay. In like, fairness, No, we're not going to go into this argument. No, no. no literally, cannot, literally, I'm stopping cannot. right here. Literally, I'm, I'm, literally, I'm cutting you off. Because the we're reason, not going to argue. The reason those three it. movies, you didn't enjoy them as much, was not because you watched the trailers. It's because they okay. sucked. Okay. But, but I mean, right. Okay. Yes. And I, okay. Like, let's just not even compare yeah. the most recent Star Wars movies with the original. Yeah. Or with okay. 
okay. Holy okay. So, okay. Yeah. So, okay. But so I don't want to talk about it. I just don't want to talk about it. Okay. Fair um, enough. The one thing I will say, just to kind of add to yours, uh, there was an article that I saw on HuffPo because, you know, I'm a pinko commie liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, will Wheaton wore a Star Trek uniform to that. the premiere. I, I did have, see that. That made me laugh so yeah, hard. Yeah, funny. Um, okay, so were we ready to move on to... Uh, uh, no, I have one more. Oh, I'm sorry. One more. Okay, okay. And this is more of a rumory kind of thing, but there are several articles supporting this rumor. Business Insider, um, San Francisco Chronicle, The Nerdist. Like, uh, so many sources are supporting this. And it's basically that Quentin Tarantino has offered to direct a Star Trek movie. Um, and it's a, he's looking for a screenwriter right now, according to Business Insider. Um, J.J. Abrams is offering to be a producer. Uh, well, I mean. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Hang on. <laughs> Go Let ahead. me finish. Um, Patrick Stewart has even said he is open to revising Jean-Luc Picard in this movie. And that is something that. Previously, Patrick Stewart has shied away from. He hasn't really mentioned any kind of like wanting to revise that character. Even when asked directly if he would, he's like, you know, not unless something, not unless it was a really good idea. And here he's even blatantly said, yeah, I'd totally play Picard for Tarantino. So while I'm, I would be very cautious about a Tarantino Star Trek, um, I think it would be kind of fun. Um, mm-hmm. so, <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, to me, it's like saying that, like, Hitchcock offered to direct a Disney movie. Uh, on its face, it sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's a good idea. I mean, nah. I, I, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I mean I'm, this, I'm saying this as a huge Tarantino fan. I, I've seen Pulp Fiction no less than 57 times. Um, I love Tarantino. I love all of his movies. Um, I think he's a brilliant director. Uh, but I think um, having a Star Trek Tarantino mashup is a bit like having a peanut butter and mayonnaise sandwich. It sounds disgusting. Uh, um, <laughs> like maybe they're okay on their own sandwiches, but don't mix them. Um, so, fair enough. So fair enough. I, I just, I don't know. I, I, obviously, hey, I would go see it. I would, in I would fairness, be first in line for tickets, I never would have, I never would have thought sea salt, sea salt and dark chocolate would be good together. But I enjoy it immensely. Okay, but there's like some. Never mind. You know what? Like I know, well, I know. If, if there's certain happens, things there's certain things that you shouldn't mix yeah but there are sometimes whenever you take two disparate ingredients and put them together you come up with a flavor that is surprisingly pleasant okay well i will we're just if it happens i will be first in line yeah. for tickets but Fair i enough. will be very cautious about any optimism yes um so speaking of cautious optimism uh i feel i would feel remiss if we didn't mention that discovery is also going to get a second season um, I haven't even finished the first season. I haven't the finished first the half fir- of this I, first no, season. No, I haven't, and I because they're at the season mid break. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna pick it back up after maybe the first season completely runs. I'll, I'll sort of play yeah. the Walking Dead game with it, and just I want to watch it all together all at once, so that if there are issues, I can kind of swallow them as a giant horse pill. Um, so yeah. it was one giant giant horse pill. Um, so anyway, I I'm I know that there are a lot of fans yeah. of Discovery and I know that there are a lot of Trek fans of Discovery and that they're excited that Trek is, is able to evolve in this way and for them I say I'm, I'm glad yeah. um, 
It's one of those for things. The rest of if us, you can't keep up, you die. For the rest of us, I think the Orville is fulfilling um, or filling that void nicely, mm-hmm. and I and I I'm, I'm excited for the fans of Discovery. Um, if I do not share in their excitement, I'm also excited uh, as a fan of the Orville um, for a second season. So anyway, yeah. um, okay. So do we want to so, move on to? Uh, um, so I have a bit of te- technology that I'm really excited about. Um, I'm a, uh, I, I join Jason and his pinko commie liberalism, uh, particularly uh, when it comes to the environment. Um, as exciting as it is to explore other planets, we have to take care of our own planets, um, lest we mm-hmm. end up uh, with a Firefly future as opposed to a Star Trek future. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, and I am excited about the idea of engineering our way out of um, climate change. Um, I think that I think that human ingenuity is going to be our saving grace, um, and I and I'm excited about that. Um, this project was started by a 22 year old guy. I think he's from Norway, and it's called the Ocean Cleanup. And what he's aiming to tackle is the problem of the plastic gyres. And if you don't know what those are, I encourage you to Google them uh, in the Pacific Ocean. Um, he it basically will be launching. Uh, in in uh, August of 2018, so it's a few months away, he will be launching a um, sort of net, and there's a whole lot of interesting engineering uh, qualities to this net that, um, anyway, that will clean up 50% of the plastic in that area of the ocean in the first year. That's impressive. It's unbelievable, and it's a huge step in the right direction. Um, and I, I agree. I, and I think, I, think, uh, I think it's something to be genuinely excited about um, so I'm excited about it, mm-hmm. um, and there's a really wonderful website called theoceancleanup.org if you're interested in donating to the project or just interested in learning about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I highly recommend it, uh, and I, I think um, this is something to really look forward to as stewards of this lovely little blue spaceship that we're on. I, I definitely agree. That is that's some awesomeness. Uh, any t- any way that any technology that we're going to going to come up with in the future needs to first start with with making our lives on this planet better. And part of that is making sure that we have a clean place to live and grow our food, like in the ocean with fish and all that. So, I mean, cleaning up plastic out of the ocean. I mean, if, if you've watched any documentary about anything, you like any kind of like devastation to our that we're doing to our planet i mean you know about the giant plastic gyres in our in our ocean and and this is just a step in the right direction to clean Mm -hmm. that up and honestly regardless of your politics that i think that's something that we everybody can get on board with in terms of you know making sure that where we live is the best it can be yeah i agree with you i agree with that um in kind of regards to that um being good stewards of you know what we are given um, one of the things that I'd like to talk about is uh, SpaceX. <laughs> I, know, uh, yeah, I know this SpaceX. is kind of I know that kind of seems oh, like a so non sequitur. No, it's not at all. But it's so nerdy it is and awesome. super nerdy, super awesome. But SpaceX just launched both a reused rocket and a reused capsule wow. to the International Space Station. Yeah, that's a big first deal. time they've been able to do that. Uh, first time anyone's really been able to do that. So, I mean, for those of you who don't know, the way that space travel was conducted in the past in the past was, they'd build a rocket, they'd strap a spacecraft to it, send it up. The rocket would become garbage. The space capsule 
or the spaceship, like in the days of uh, the shuttle program, those were reused, but the capsules pretty much weren't. Um, mm. This, however, totally different. SpaceX has uh, made sure that they can both launch and land rockets and land their their capsules. So just recently they delivered, I think it was like two tons of, na- of equipment to NASA uh, in this capsule. And then um, they, I don't think the capsules come back yet, but they, they landed the rocket like they normally do. And I mean, they're thinking they're going to be able to use it again. I mean, it's this is awesome because it means that we're going to stop using up these resources and start purposing them for something better. You well, know? The, well, the other side of this, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about this because the other side of this is that if you imagine a uh, mission to Mars, they're not going to be able to build a rocket on Mars. They're going to no. have to be. They're going to have to be able to reuse the rocket that they entered with, right? Exactly. So what this means is that if we're able to land a rocket and take off with it again, that the mission to Mars is not only going to be successful, but they're going to be able to come back, which is kind of the real success, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. you, you know, sending a man to Mars is one thing; it's getting them back that's the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I, 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 it's really, really exciting, and I, I'm, I'm, I, you know. It's hard to be completely optimistic, but I think that it's I think that it's wonderful that we are um, sort of emotionally, yeah. financially, you know, mentally invested in this idea that we belong um, not just here on Earth, but out there, out exploring. I mean, yeah. man, I mean, you know, man, man must explore. Period. I agree. So, um, yeah, super exciting. Well, I mean, that's all I've got for today. Um, I have one recommendation. Okay. Uh, Recommendation. Uh, so I have been reading um, the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov. I know this is an mm-hmm. old recommendation, but I wanted to take a minute to uh, recommend the classics. Um, if you are a fan of Star Trek or Star Wars or Star anything, um, <laughs> you are a fan of Isaac Asimov. You just don't know it yet. Um, so I'm highly recommending the Foundation series and iRobot. Um, so, you know, this is one of those things. I'm an I'm a English teacher, uh, so call me a little bit biased, but I think that reading is really, really important, and especially if you're a science fiction fan, reading, there's so much out there for you, I promise. Um, so uh, I'm recommending Isaac Asimov's The Foundation series. I think that's a good, uh, a good recommendation there. Um, I don't really... What, what have I been doing lately? Um, I... I uh, I, I, I've been going to work. I, I took a training class recently. I, I, I mean, hey, actually, you know what? If you like AutoCAD, take an AutoCAD training class. It's pretty fun. <laughs> Check them into um, AutoCAD then. Yeah, no, AutoCAD is pretty fun, I guess, if you're into drawing blueprints and such. Um, there was a show we just recently watched that we started that we, oh, yeah, no, uh, Glow. Glow, Glow. Yeah. It's been on Netflix for a while. If you haven't seen it, eh, okay. Uh, but give it a watch it's got some good stuff to it it's uh it's glow if anybody who was you know cognizant of the 1980s while they were going through them would know that glow is uh the gorgeous ladies gorgeous of ladies of wrestling yeah and uh it's got some great actors in it this is a show based on that and it's got um mark mm-hmm. maron who's hilarious uh allison brie who's just a delight in everything I've seen her in. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a handful of other people that I've seen in other things on this show, but 
It's really good. I like it. This is not one for the kiddos. So definitely you, not one for so the kids. So if you, <laughs> I would, I would uh, sit them down for this one and, and uh, a lot and, of words that are uh, yes, a lot of adults scenes, only. A lot of uh, situations, but but it is a good show, and I, I, think, yeah. it's, I think it's a, a I think really it's, I think it's a good funny TV. show. Um, I think it's good TV. Yeah, it is. It's good TV. Um, cool. All right. So All right. anything else? No, nah, I'm good. All right, Trek and A. Trek and A. It is so fun. He's happy all the time. He walks the dog in the rain and the shine. He doesn't come 